Welcome to All Together Now. This is Eleanor LeCain. Today we're talking about what we can do to save democracy in the United States. In our first segment, we'll talk with Trinve Olson, an expert in the battle between democracy and autocracy. Our second segment is Ellen Kurz, founder and president of iVote, a national voting rights organization who will discuss the importance of Secretary of State races. First up is Trigve Olson, who has worked at senior levels on elections in over 30 countries. In the U.S., he served in senior leadership positions on three presidential campaigns, numerous congressional elections, and all the Central Republican Party's political committees. Abroad, he worked on behalf of the International Republican Institute around the world. He was deployed worldwide to train activists fighting for democracy, including in Ukraine, Russia, Georgia, and across Central Asia. He's currently in the leadership of the Lincoln Project, dedicated to democracy's protection in the United States. Trigve Olson, welcome to All Together Now. Thanks for having me on, Eleanor. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. I, it's great to see you. It sounds like you're in some area with activity. I know. I'm debating. All of a sudden, I had a nice, quiet place, and suddenly a bunch of people showed up. I'm sorry about that. I have a meeting right after. So. All right, is great. It too, well, is it too noisy? I can move. I can try and move. Uh, let's go with it right here, uh, since we only have a half an hour. And uh, if it gets too much, we'll let you know. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. So you present often on the struggle between democracy and autocracy. What do we need to know about this struggle between democracy and autocracy as it relates to the United States today? Well, so I think the first thing that is really important for listeners to understand is when you think about a democracy, right? Democracy is, is really built on the idea that we have faith in one another. Um, you have a win-win scenario. Um, autocracy is really a zero-sum game that, that's comprised of creating fear and using fear to... to um, to impose your will on the other side, if you will. Right, exactly. Maybe do you have headphones you could plug your... I, I have my headphones, yeah. Unfortunately, this crowd has just come. Here, I'll, I will move. I'm so yeah. sorry. All right, great. That's good. We can pretend that the autocrats are coming after you and they're trying to dis disrupt our conversation. So I think it's a bunch of people who haven't seen each other in a long time. <laughs> All right. I'm I'm in a better spot now. This is good. I feel like I'm watching the West Wing as they're walking through the White House. <laughs> I am I'm literally I'm literally a block and a half from the White House. So there Fantastic. is Fantastic. Well you're I'm outside in the now, it should be better. Good. You're always in the middle of the action. So, so you're talking about uh, autocracy is founded in fear, basically. So, well, I mean, let's use, you know, a great example of this for your listeners to think about is if you think about at its core, what Vladimir Putin is trying to do to the people in Ukraine, right? He's right. essentially saying, you consent to us governing you or I will kill you. 
I mean, that is the ultimate manifestation of autocracy and imposing uh, control through fear. And if you look at what Zelensky is doing in Ukraine, for example, it really is the ultimate example of somebody who's, who's trying to lead by instilling faith in each other in the Ukrainians. And, you know, one of the things that has been fascinating to me with this is the prior uh, president of Ukraine was a guy named Petro Poroshenko. And he and Zelensky had a very heated rivalry. And in fact, Poroshenko was under house arrest when the conflict started. Poroshenko is now out on the front lines. And I saw an interview where, you know, they were interviewing him and he said, you know, I'm fighting for my country and Zelensky is the president and, and is leading us. That's faith in each other. And, and really, at the end of the day, we can have disagreements about policy or what kind of country we want to have, but we have to have them within the win-win of, I have faith that the other side will concede elections, that we'll have future elections if I let them govern. And, and that really, at, a, at its core, is what this is all about. And, and it's, it's how you can have people like Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney working together on the 1-6 committee, for example. Right. It's, you know, I'm so inspired and encouraged to see Pelosi and Liz Cheney working together there. You know, it's like bipartisan work on behalf of our, our democracy. And I, you know, I'm a Democrat. Most, honestly, most of the visitors on my show, our guests tend to be Democrats, but I feel more in harmony with you and, and allyship with you because you're dedicated towards democracy, as am I. And I feel like there's a lot of bridge building we can do working with all kinds of people on behalf of saving the whole picture of democracy in the U.S. And then we can fight within that around policies. But right now we're fighting for the core of our country, that we are democratically uh, uh, run kind of a country. So, well, that is really at its core. We can have disagreements about policy, but we have to stand together on, on democracy so that we can have those fights later. In fact, one of the, I have seven rules for dealing with autocrats, which really came out of my work around the world with those fighting for democracy and, and have applied them in the U.S. And one of them is what I call the Stalin rule. And the Stalin rule is basically if if you're going up against the most reprehensible human being in history, Adolf Hitler, you make alliances with anybody, including the second most reprehensible, Joseph Stalin, mm -hmm. so that you can live to fight another day about, about those differences. And, and, you know, we're not in that situation in the sense that we're, you know, we're talking about some pretty reprehensible people, but the people we have to make alliances with are more like Churchill, right? They're people who care about democracy. So. Right, exactly. Well, I love your seven rules for defeating autocrats, and you've been advising people in countries all over the world how to stop these guys who are hell-bent on really moving towards fascism or autocracy, whatever name you want to put on it, but they definitely want to overrule the will of the people for their own power. Uh, what are some of those seven rules you find? You've just mentioned one, make allies with whoever you can, even if you know, you've got to hold your nose while doing it. Right. Make alliances to save the democracy first and foremost. What are some of the other rules we need to be following to defeat autocrats here in the United States? 
Well, so, you know, defeating autocrats anywhere and their enablers, you know, the first rule, I always say we have to play the game we're in, not the one we know. Mm-hmm. The game we're in is the zero-sum competition between democracy and autocracy. And when you have people who are playing that zero-sum game where they want to gain power and maintain power indefinitely, you have to recognize that that's the struggle you're in. And so, well, we're going to have elections. Um, those elections have to be used to defeat people who have zero-sum aims or are enablers of those. You know, So one of the things we focused on at the Lincoln Project is saying, all right, let's not look at elections um, in terms of the normal game we know of who controls the House or the Senate, but rather which are the races that are most important for protecting democracy? And so we've been saying for a long time um, that, you know, if you're to look at the most important race in the country, it's the governor's race in Pennsylvania, because if Doug Mastriano wins, he is sad. He doesn't care who Pennsylvania votes for in the 2024 presidential election. He's going to certify, you know, Donald Trump or whoever he sees fit as the winner. Well, it's impossible to have a presidential election if Pennsylvania is, is, that's going to be accepted as credible as Pennsylvania has a governor that doesn't care what the, the actual results of the votes are. So the playing your game, playing the game you're in is about understanding that there are going to be races that fall in that paradigm of, you, you know, elections or fights that are, that you have to win if right. democracy is going to survive. Right. A- absolutely right. And along those lines, we'll come back to more of the seven rules to defeat autocrats. But on that point of what are the key races that you see in this election where really it's democracy itself is on the ballot? So I would say there's, you know, there's there are three races that that we scored every election. We actually looked at it as elections. So we looked at primaries and general elections. So there's the Pennsylvania governor's race, which I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would point out for people, the other thing about Pennsylvania that makes it unique is the governor gets to point essentially the secretary of state who oversees elections. Mm-hmm. The second election that we view uh, equal to that would be the governor's race in Michigan mm-hmm. um, between Gretchen Whitmer and Tudor Dixon, because again, you have an election denier. Again, Michigan is a big swing state presidential politics. Um, I would say right now, you know, it looks pretty good for, for Whitmer. She's running a great campaign. And then the third race that falls into that category is the Wisconsin governor's race, where you have Tony Evers, um, who has stood strong for voting rights and really stood strong against the big lie running against Tim Michaels, who is, you know, caught on video uh, or audio the other day speaking to a group uh, and basically saying, he would implement all of these election, uh, you know, sort of restrictions on voting right access and, and refuses to acknowledge that, that, that Joe Biden won the state and has talked about how much fraud there is. So those three states, because of their importance in presidential politics, are all on the ballot and certainly would be at the top. I would add to that you have two really marquee Senate races in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin that are going to be really important for control of the House, which also kind of factors into that. And then the other two states that are just below that would be the Arizona governor's race and the other races in that state and Nevada. Um, They're a little less important because 
you know, you could have a presidential election, even if those states were corrupted in terms of the process, it wouldn't be good. But you could still have one where either side could win. Whereas with Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, um, you know, you, it's almost impossible to have have a Democrat reach um, 270, and for Democrats to accept the result if those states aren't aren't going to have elections that are viewed by both sides as on the up and up. Right. Well said. And I know you're a native of Wisconsin and you mentioned the Wisconsin Senate race. Uh, We've got the Republican uh, Senator Ron Johnson in there now uh, running for reelection. He's been a thorn in the side of democracy. Uh, What do you think? Can, Can Ron Johnson be beat in Wisconsin? Um, I think if if Ron Johnson could be defeated in Wisconsin, it's also possible that Ron Johnson could win in Wisconsin. Um, Ron Johnson's incredibly unpopular. 49% of Wisconsinites have an unfavorable impression of Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson's running a campaign where he's really basically trying to stoke fear and just uh, muddy up Mandela Barnes's Mandela Barnes's credibility for the office. Um, I think a lot of it's going to depend on how the Barnes campaign, you know, and I say this as a former Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, so take it, but also one who's one statewide in the state of Wisconsin and running campaign. Mandela Barnes needs to reassure, um, you know, independent leaning conservatives in Waukesha and Ozaki County that what they're seeing on TV said about him um, is not who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, he's been running, I would, I would argue, to the left of Tammy Baldwin. He needs to be running more like Tammy Baldwin if he's going to beat Ron Johnson. Because it, be it would be a shame if Ron Johnson is reelected when most people in Wisconsin don't want Ron Johnson elected. Um, but, you know, Candidates have won who are incredibly unpopular in states before. And it's a it's a close state. Right. Exactly. So uh let's go back to your your seven rules for defeating autocrats. We've got, you know, play the game you're in, not the game you want to be in. Yep. And um, what else? The, the second rule is always speak truth to power because you never know the tipping point. Um, and to be honest, I feel like I just was doing a little bit of that. I know a lot of your listeners want to see Mandela Barnes win. I want to right. see Ron Johnson lose. Um, but you know, the truth of power is, is that, that Barnes is going to have to appeal to more than just progressives to get elected in the state of Wisconsin. You know, there's lots of examples of, um, of politicians speaking truth to power. Obviously, you know, you, you look at the, the entire one six committee. From Benny Thompson to Liz Cheney to, you know, Elaine Loria to Adam Kinsinger to all the rest of them. You know, they're speaking truth to power and that they're speaking to the American people about the truth about what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other autocrats constantly, the truth is their enemy. Um, and and so, you know, it, it, it's easy, as Mark Twain said, for a lie to spread around the world fast. So if you're not constantly speaking truth to that power or if you're afraid to do it, um, those lies are going to take hold. Um, and quite honestly, you know, with, with 
some of Donald Trump's enablers, somebody like Kevin McCarthy, he clearly knows the truth that's come out in what he was saying right after once. Mm -hmm. But he's afraid to say it because he wants power and, and he's willing to enable and constrict himself. That's why it's so important for Republicans of conscience to speak the truth about not just Donald Trump, but people like Kevin McCarthy who are unwilling to say what they know is true. Um, and that's, that can be true on the, on the Democrat side too. You know, when, when you have um, people taking positions that are, that are counterproductive to defeating some of the autocrats and their enablers, or they're saying, you know what, I can't vote for Josh Shapiro because he's not progressive enough. Well, your alternative when you do that is Doug Mastriano. And so if some Democrat or progressive is saying that, you need to speak up to them and say, listen, you're going to get Doug Mastriano if you don't do that. And you're going to get Donald Trump back in the White House if you do that, if you don't get out and vote. So that's speaking truth to power. Right. Well, on that point, you know, it stunned me, actually, when uh, Donald Trump won in 2016, be became the president, went into the White House. It stunned me that virtually all the Republicans in Congress and in the Republican Party apparatus capitulated to him. And behind the back, they're going, this guy's an idiot. He's a joke. He's dangerous. Um, but then in public, they were supporting him. Uh, what do you think happened in there? And how do we get more Republicans to speak truth to power? Um, you know, I would say um, I wasn't really surprised by it because I've seen in other places like Belarus where democracy has failed, typically those in power. And I think, you know, Republicans certainly did this. I think there were even some Democrats that did this with Trump and who were in Congress in the sense that, OK, he's the president. We're going to manage this. He's going to respect, you know, the, the Constitution, et cetera. And it's that naivete. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that we're going to play the game we know, not the one we're in, that kind of takes hold in those situations. And it's certainly what happened in Belarus. And it can happen elsewhere. So that, you know, that's kind of the situation that's at hand. Um, I think, um, as far as, you know, why don't more Republicans speak up? More Republicans don't speak up because there was a disincentive for them to cross Trump. So it's, it's pure politics. Mm -hmm. They would lose their seat, basically. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, so right now you're involved with the Lincoln Project, which I've loved, um, which I saw as a real sign of, you know, the American patriots within the Republican Party who's understood the danger that Trump posed and the smart operatives knowing how to run campaigns put together these brilliant ads to criticize Trump and what he was doing to the country. Um What's your role right now within the Lincoln Project? You know, so I, I serve as a senior advisor to the Lincoln Project, and my focus is primarily on two things. One is strategy as it relates to the, the upcoming election. And then I focus um, to a large degree on, you know, understanding of how democracies fail and, and autocracy and how you fight them. Sorry about that. Some of you are defending democracy. 
Right. I feel like I'm talking to you in the bunker. You're there in the bunker defending democracy and the autocrats are coming after you. No, I'm not <laughs> sure what precipitates somebody driving, rolling their uh, their car so loud. They should get mufflers here in, in the district. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with the Lincoln Project, <clears throat> what are they doing to protect democracy in the United States? So, you know, we have a number of initiatives that we have going on as it relates to democracy. Obviously, one of the things we're trying to do every day is wake up and, and say to ourselves, how do we confront those autocratic forces, mm-hmm. their enablers? How do we undermine them? Um, and, you know, people see the ads that we, we run, obviously, still a lot of the Trump-focused ads. Um, but in addition to that, you know, we're obviously engaged in campaigns in the various places. Um, so that's great. Um, focused on, you know, the Pennsylvania governor's race, the Wisconsin governor's race, Senate races across the country. Fantastic. And what's your sense of it uh, right now? Do you think the Democrats are going to keep the House and keep the Senate or are we going down here? Well, I think things on the Senate side look pretty good. Um you know, the reality is the Republicans nominated some candidates in various places mm-hmm. that are really problematic mm-hmm. um, for them for winning. You know, Blake Masters in Arizona, for example, is is running behind Kelly, and Kelly's campaign has done a good job of attracting Republicans uh, who are disaffected. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing that in Georgia with Raphael Warnock. You're seeing that to a degree, maybe a little less with Fetterman. Um, versus I. So, you know, there's examples of that happening. Um, so the Senate, you know, is it, is it a guarantee that Democrats are going to win the Senate? It's not, but is it probably better than 50%? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as it relates to, um, as it relates to the House, the House mm-hmm. is going to be close. Um, I think if you'd asked me that question in July, I would have been saying yeah, it doesn't look good. For, for Democrats with the House. Can I see a path to them keeping the House currently? Yes. Is it likely? Probably right around 50% chance. You know, there's going to be some races um, like Abigail Spanberger, Elaine Loria's races in Virginia, where, you know, some moderate Democrats who are running against MAGA Republicans are going to need to get through. Um, and within the Democrat Party, it's going to mean that, you know, both wings are going to have to rally together in support of um of those candidates because you know house majorities are built in districts for both parties quite frankly that are kind of suburb expert districts that don't always conform with the basis of the two parties right well you've laid out the stakes here just really in many ways democracy is on the ballot all over the country this year particularly in these swing states with some of these mega Republicans, right? We haven't even talked about the Secretary of State, where you got a whole alliance of the mega Republicans. And by the way, congratulations on a fabulous uh, um, video that you just produced on the Secretary of State races. Say, <laughs> we don't yeah. want to win the January 6th insurrectionaries and put them in charge of the election machinery state by state. Well, you know, that's something you and I had an extended conversation offline about that. And it is something that we at the Lincoln Project, not only have we put out that ad, um, but, you know, we're engaging um, in those Secretary of State's races um, along Bannon lines, 
which would be, you know, Republicans, maybe pro-choice women Republicans or Republicans who don't believe Donald Trump in the big lie. Um, those Secretary of State races, like, you know, Benson in, in Michigan, Colorado, uh, Georgia, uh, certainly Arizona. Um, those are huge races that, quite frankly, you know, that's kind of the game we're in versus the game we know. And the game we know, people don't usually care about Secretary of State's races that much. But we've all got to care about those races because our democracy depends on people like Benson getting through in Michigan. Um, exactly right. And as you know, I was the assistant secretary of state in Massachusetts, my home state. And I am amazed as I talk to people about how important these secretary of state races are. People don't even know what they are or what they do, and they don't know who their secretary of state is. So for our listeners, most in most states, elections are run by the secretary of state on a state level. And generally, they've done a good job, whatever party they're in. They tend to have been doing a good job with honest counting of the votes and doing. But now there's like this full on assault by these mega Republicans to limit the votes, suppress the vote, have few fewer voting access points, and uh, even the threats to say no matter who wins, we're going to say that the Republican won. So, I mean, they're right out in front telling us what they're going to do. This is not like some undercover conspiracy. They're like bragging about it. So um, I would encourage all our listeners, make sure you're registered, make sure you vote on or before November 8th. And uh, what would your advice be to citizens? What can the average citizen do to strengthen our democracy, given this unprecedented assault? So I think a couple of things, and that's a great question. Um, I think, one, between now and the 8th of November, get involved. You know, get out and vote, but get involved. And if you're in a state, you know, I had somebody that I was talking to uh, who, uh, on, on something I was doing online, who was from Marjorie Taylor Greene's district. And they wanted to be part of the, you know, they wanted to be part of defending our democracy. But as they were saying to me, you know, I'm a progressive in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district. She's going to win no matter what I do. And I said, listen, here's, here's the thing. You can get engaged in Raphael Warnock's campaign in Georgia, one of the most important Senate races. You can get involved in the Secretary of State's race. But not only that, you know, the Internet makes it possible where you can spend 50 percent of your time or 10 percent of your time on on Marjorie Taylor Greene's opponent, who's probably going to lose. But it's important to keep her tied down. You can spend 40 or 50 percent of your time getting Raphael Warnock elected, helping Stacey Abrams or whoever, you know, the secretary of state. Canada. And you can spend the rest of your time and resources and whatever you're going to you're going to contribute to this campaign to, you know, help defeat Doug Mastriano or help defeat. Tim Michaels in Wisconsin. You make phone calls from anywhere by signing up at those campaigns. So what we need is for people to really be strategic, to look at where they are. If you're in Pennsylvania, you have one job, well, two jobs, getting, you know, John Fetterman elected and, and getting, making sure Doug Mastriano loses and Josh Shapiro wins, right? But if you're in some of these other places um, where you don't have as many competitive races, uh, you know, look around and figure out where you can, you can help. The other thing I would say is, um, you know, figure out are there ways that you can get involved on the local level, school board races, local city council, join the planning commission. Because in truth, you know, some of these autocratic forces, they're trying to infiltrate all of those levels. And we need good people involved at all levels. 
Right, exactly. And I remind the listeners, you've identified some very key races wherever you are. If you're in a safely blue area, you can uh, still help with the governor's race in Pennsylvania and Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Arizona, Nevada. Those five states really need help. So uh, if you've got, you know, spare hour or whatever time you've got between now and the next 40 days to the election, you know, help out where it counts as well as where you are. So uh, fantastic. And then we've seen the um, the ugly orange hair Trump character reemerging on on this election cycle. What impact do you think Trump is going to have in this election? Uh, That's a great question. I've kind of quit predicting what Donald Trump does long ago. Uh, I'd like to think I don't have autocratic personality disorder, so it's pretty hard for me to read his mind. But, you know, Donald Trump's not going to go away. They don't go away. They just keep coming. Um, And so, you know, I think that said, you know, I'm not sure that that's good for Republicans, that Donald Trump doesn't go away. Uh, I think Mitch McConnell and a lot of Republicans would like Donald Trump to go away. He's not going to go away. But really, you know, Donald Trump is symptomatic of the problem of extremism on the right that we're seeing. Um, And so, you know, what Donald Trump does is a little bit like, you know, it, it isn't it isn't fixing what ails our democracy in the long term. Although that said, Donald Trump needs to go away, no doubt. Right. Well, uh, that, that's all the time we have. If people, listeners, if you want to learn more about Trigvis Olson's important work, you can check out the Lincoln Project. Um, Trig Olson, thank you so much for being on All Together Now, and thanks for being a real patriot to help save democracy in the U.S. and around the world. Yeah, thank you, Eleanor, for having me on. I'm sorry about the song glitches. And I would just say, if people are interested in the seven rules, they can if they go to my Twitter feed, at Trigby, T-R-Y-G-V-E-O-L-S-O-N, um, they'll be able to find all the seven rules and a lot of information on it, on democracy. That is excellent work. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Listeners, stay tuned for our next conversation.